millionaire in my early 30s, right? And I was full of arrogance. I thought I knew everything. I was a dick. I was a dick. I was a dick. I thought that stuff showed success. So I had the, the Dodge Viper, which by the way, I called the trophy of dick. I had <laughs> Hi, and welcome back to the Unconventionalist Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Roos, and this is the show about what it's really like to turn your message into movement. It's a little bit different. We're no longer in the studio in North London because, hey, it's global lockdown. So you're in my house. I'm inviting you in my own home office where I'm sitting down and having a conversation with some truly inspiring people to help you move forward with your message and your business and, and, and really teach you how to put yourself out there in a way that feels authentic to who you are. Uh, before I begin today's juicy interview, uh, I want to remind you that if you are thinking about launching a podcast, if you've been thinking about starting your own show, but you felt stuck in the starting blocks, maybe you don't know what gear to get, you don't know what platform to use, you're not exactly sure what your message is or who your audience are, then I want to invite you to come and check out our online video program. I've put everything I've learned over the last five years of launching and growing the Unconventionalist podcast we got in the top 15 last year on Apple Podcasts, 160,000 downloads, financial sponsorship, some of the truly most inspiring people I know have come on the show. And I've held back on nothing. I've shared everything, taught you everything. There's over 40 videos, really simple, digestible, actionable steps with many, many graduates coming off and doing some amazing shows, impactful shows. Some have gathered financial sponsorship support, some have landed top Apple Podcast shows. But that's not the point. The point is for you to put yourself out there in a way that feels real to you and podcasting is one of the most amazing ways to do that so if that sounds like you go to check out www.thepodcastrevolution.com and look forward to seeing you in there right today's juicy guest is mike mccallowitz and if you've never heard of mike then you're really going to enjoy today's conversation i recommend you go down the rabbit hole of listening to most of mike's podcast he's been interviewed on uh, read his books get mike into your pocket and into your ears as much as you can I mean, he's been praised by the likes of Simon Sinek, Seth Godin, and Michael Yegerber, and, and Guy Kawasaki, and all these things. But that's not why I want to introduce Mike. And in fact, if you spend a bit of time with Mike, you'll quickly understand that he's not someone who wants to be introduced as the, you know, the best-selling author of six books and all this stuff. Rather, he, he's a guy who built a couple of companies, did really well very young, and then totally lost everything. And uh, he shares a moment in our story in our conversation today, which was a pivotal moment where everything changed for him. And it's a humbling experience, but I think it's um, really necessary to understand how relatable Mike is, actually, and how everything else defined from that one moment. Um, you're also going to hear how he uses his own challenges, his own uh, shortcomings, and, and the issues that he faces, and turns them into learning experience that he can share with his audience through his book, through his podcast, through his blog posts, and, and so on. And, uh, and the reason why I'm very excited to share with you today's uh, interview is that we talked about how do you get over the fear of being judged when you when you put something out there? How do you deal with this fear of sharing a little part of you that might be vulnerable and that the fear of being exposed and what that might bring you if you actually do? What's on the side of life and business when you start embracing those parts of you and, and share them openly? So that was very exciting. And of course, you can go and check out his books. We'll talk a bit more. His latest books is Fix This Next. We'll get to talk about that a little bit. Um, enjoy the show. I really hope you like it. And if you do, please make sure to let us know. Give us a little thumbs up. And if you're watching this on YouTube, leave a little comment below. Make sure to click subscribe, wherever that is. And uh, if you listen to this to Apple Podcasts, subscribing and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts means the world to me because it helps get the show out there and change 
more live. So you can help by doing that. Right, I'm gonna shut up, enjoy the interview. Here's Mike McCallum. Mike, welcome to the show. Mark, thank you for having me. <laughs> You're welcome, man. I was just saying before we got online, like it feels like a beard fest. Like now, yeah. is this lockdown beard or have you, have you had this beard for? No, mine was, um, what, what triggered it? Uh, you know, it, it was laziness beard uh, a couple of Christmases ago. And uh, and then my wife said to me, she goes, I really like it. Wife likes, it stays. <laughs> and now I've had it for two and a half years. I wish my beard was as full of color as yours. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you like there's a little bit of gray streak over here for those who are like listening to this on the podcast not watching on YouTube you're going to see there's a little bit of white streak coming but uh, white. yeah me, mine's look, all white <laughs> but okay appreciate you being here um uh, I know we're going to be doing the most with the time we have here's here's the thing um I've listened to like a few of your interviews now and how many episodes guest podcasts do you think you've done to date I, oh as a guest appearance yeah uh, yeah I don't know, 300, 400, maybe, maybe a thousand. I, I really don't know. Yeah. I do know like when launches happen, when I'm promoting my books, Yeah, I'll, my colleagues will queue up to about a hundred. That's what our target is. They're not wow. always new ones, right? So they're reappearances and yeah. stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like 500. That's mad. So here's, here's the deal that I, I want to make with you and, and with the audience listening. You have so many of these episodes out there where you share a lot about your background story. There's a few yeah. bits I do want to dive into, but um. I don't want this to be another repeat, same question that you get all Love the it. time. Um, because it seems like, hey, so Mike, tell us about your background story. So how did you become a, an author? Which by the way, to me, it becomes a pretty kind of, yeah, a kind of boring podcast. Yeah. I'm not saying like this is inappropriate, but it's like, that's very Googleable, right? Like yeah. when I listen to podcasts, I want to hear something like I've never would have yeah. known, like that type of stuff. Yeah, I get that. So let's get into it. So you became a dad for the first time at 21 years old. First time that I admit to it. <laughs> well, that you know of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. First time I know of. Yeah, I, I became a father at 22. I, uh, you know, the, the backstory is this. My, my wife and I, uh, we got an early start on life. It's what yeah. boiled down to. And we said, you know what? We're going to have all our kids. So I had actually three children all before I was age 20. I, I'm doing what I call the reverse honeymoon. Like my wife and I, we didn't even have a honeymoon. We did, but I mean. Wait a second. You had three kids by the age of 20? 29, 29. Oh, 29. Sorry, Cody. Yeah, I mumble a little bit to make it more <laughs> compelling, you know? Yeah. Hold on, wait. Yeah, and I had I had one child before I was 12. So just to give you context. Yeah, just, no, that's yeah. mad. So by 20, I had three kids. And the reason why I wanted to kick off with that, it, it's a kind of an aspect that I haven't heard you talk a lot about. And, and that is at, at such a young age, it must have been such a formative experience to, to have to grow up so fast, right? Like whether we start a business and we start bringing on team members that like we're forced into a new kind of way of having to lead. And you're this young kid, really, I mean, no no, no kind of offense, but 22, you're young, right? Like, I'm oh, just thinking- No offense, like, yeah, I wasn't ready. But here, here's the best part. Like when I got thrust into parenthood was, uh, I was thrust into adulthood. I like, I started a business at the same time. so. Like, it's not like, oh, I can go live with my parents now. Or yeah. like if there's no, like there was no, you know, failure was not an option. Sure. A cliche. Sure. And uh, fear is a great motivator. I'll tell you the, this, Mark, I, I didn't work better or smarter as a result, but I did work harder than yeah. I ever could have imagined myself because I was so afraid of failure. I, I had to come home and whatever money we had, 
Yeah. My wife was buying peanut butter and jelly. She was working too, but peanut butter and jelly and and sandwiches. And that was breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. Um, for until we could get past that. So, yeah. So, so here, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I do want to, I want to kind of jump into. Um, so you've shared the story of how you've kind of built these two companies and, you know, sold them for, for a bunch of money. And by the age of you were 35, you were a cash millionaire, all this stuff. One, one thing that I, I haven't really heard you talk about. So if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, like your second business, um, was to do with uh, computer crime and you became famous because of an Eon case. Uh, what I find fascinating is, do you think there's any yeah. link between the second company you built about computer crime and you now investigating some of the toughest challenges that entrepreneurs have and trying to resolve those, you know, crime, entrepreneurial crimes? You know what? That's, that's a great question. I think there is. So the second company, just to be very clear, we weren't committing computer crimes. No, no, no. We were <laughs> computer forensic investigators. So we were investigating. In the, I'm in the trial, we, we So I mix up words and sentences. So good that you picked that no, up. I totally get you're it. Like, so you were a criminal in computer crime. No, I totally get it. And people are like, oh my God, like you admit that? Um, so computer crime investigation and uh, Enron was our biggest trial. Uh, but we did major celebrity cases and so forth. Yeah. Part of it was right place, right time. It wasn't like I was such a genius. But here's one thing interesting about forensic investigation. The, the data talks, you know, the, when you look at the facts, it's undeniable. So hmm. it's interesting when you hear a defendant and a, uh, a prosecutor basically going after each other, the, the opposition, same story, different angles, only presented in a different way. And they present it as if it's the factual truth. But when the facts are presented, then it's like, well, okay. It's funny when someone's like, you know, uh, you, you, I don't know what you did. Like you stole uh, this computer from someone's desk. So we, we know you stole it. Right? I did not. I did not. We, we have a video of it. They're like, it doesn't matter. You show them the video. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit like, like the finance statement, right? Like in your profit first, when you force people to look at what's the situation, that's that's like, how you, you can't run away. Like I know it's uncomfortable, but at least it's empowering. Right. And we play this game around finances. Like, we're like, oh, the business is fine. We come home, like, it's good. And in our mind, we're justifying it. If I just get that client. But when you look at the raw numbers, when they're in front of you and they slap you in the face, yeah. you have to admit the truth. Yeah. And that, that's what Profit First does. Yeah. Um, no, I and by the way, by, when you admit the truth, then you position yourself to be, at least in the Profit First genre, extremely yeah. profitable. Because now we can leverage that to, to drive the profits you want. Yeah, and and there's something about your story which I think really resonated with me around talking about facing the truth and and having to swallow like a humble pie was a, a specific Valentine's Day, right? Oh. Like, <laughs> like, but it, know, but it, but I think it it would be it would be it would honestly I think it'd be a crime not to shut that. And the reason why I say this is that most people when you bring someone on and they'll say yeah okay but Mike's there now like you know like Mike's done yeah, he, doesn't, he doesn't get it he doesn't, he doesn't get, get it. it he doesn't understand what it is to you know big, yeah peanut butter and jelly yeah, when he was 21 he had a kids but look at his millionaire so just take us back to that one moment in time because out of all the stories I've heard you share it's the one that somehow I find is such a catalyst in the change to your relationship to ego and to uh, facing what you might have been avoiding up until now take us back to that Valentine's Day yeah so the day before well, Dave, the years before that I, I now built and sold two companies the computer forensic business the prior business which was in computer systems millionaire in my early 30s right and i was full of arrogance i thought i knew everything i was a dick i was a dick i was a dick <laughs> i thought that stuff showed success so i had the the dodge viper which by the way i call the trophy of dicks now i had the, <laughs> have, I, we got a uh 
we got a, a house out in um, Hawaii. There's a, there's a yeah. private island called Lanai, and it's owned by Larry Ellison now of Oracle. But that island, we got a house out there and to go on sabbatical. Like, like all this stuff I thought was yeah. what success. And I said, to sustain this now, I got to build a third company that does this. Well, I, as an angel investor, I sucked at it. Um, I lost everything. Fast forward to Valentine's Day, 2008, uh, my accountant called me in the morning and said, uh, you got to declare bankruptcy because the only other option is liquidate your final assets. And he's like, you got to live like a pauper. What do you want? And bankruptcy was the easy way out, but I also felt this ethical obligation. Those are my, those are my creditors. I don't know who they are, their credit cards and stuff, but it was my fault. So I came home to my family and said, we're going we're gonna to liquidate. <clears throat> and liquidation meant losing our, la our one house. Uh, we lost it 30 days later. We are possessions, cars. I had to tell my daughter, and this was the defining moment. She was nine years old at the time. Actually, I just saw her this morning coming to work. She's now 22, but she was nine years old at the time. Wow. I, I, um, I said, I can't afford for you to go to horseback riding lessons. It was, it was 20, $20 a mm. session and uh, for a group session. And she starts crying. I'm crying in front of my family. Um, my, my sons were there. My wife is there. She ran out of the room and I thought she was running away. And, and, I, and why I thought that she was running away is that's what I wanted to do. Because when we hit our darkest moment of abject failure, running away feels like the best solution. She didn't run away. She ran to her bedroom to grab her piggy bank and she came running back and she goes, daddy, daddy. She goes, you can no longer provide for our families. So, so I will. <laughs> and uh, she plops it down. And I, I was so stunned and so ashamed and also so honored that mm. she would do that. She, that was her life savings. She was actually saving to buy a horse one day. That was her dream. Yeah, I remember saying that. And uh, she said she, she was going to put her dream on the shelf and, and, and give it to me. Yeah. Um, so that became awakening. Now, the, the fast forward, it wasn't like the next morning I woke up and said, I got this all yeah. figured out now. Um, you know, I got to dedicify myself. I, I went through two years of depression. Yeah. Um, You've called fu functional depression. I've heard you functional call, depression, yeah. which means you can still function, uh, but remove yourself from my social settings. Uh, I started drinking a lot to medicate, mm. not alcoholism, but just drinking just yeah. to not think. And um, but it was during that transition. I kept on saying, "What's what do I don't understand that?" triggered me to become an author. And every book I've written is because I, I, I need it, honestly. And I think many other entrepreneurs need it. And uh, I, I started journaling during that depression. I, I have a, at least at least 25 books I need to write. I'm like compulsively need to write because I got to fix those problems I had. Yeah. Probably hundreds I should write, you know? Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, and, and thanks for sharing that. And the reason I want to say that is, uh, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about you and your conversation you've had to date is, is you talk about this concept of ego, especially in the entrepreneurial world, right? Like, but it's very easy to go, how, how much are you making? Like, how many teams have you got? Like, oh, you got funding? Oh, I've got more funding. Um, you know, yeah. like this kind of like arrogance boasting of each other's. And you were, you you bought into that, like, you know, chasing the Jones. Oh, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. It's the, how big is it? Yeah. You know, yeah. actually, like, oh, what, what's your sales like? And, and you know, some people aren't so bold. There's a sneaky way. You ask, how, how many employees you got now? Yeah. Because that question translates to size. And yeah. it's all about how big is it? Yeah. And I'll tell you, shocking or shocker, size doesn't matter. Like, yeah. The right size business will find yeah. you. You know, here's the good questions. How healthy is your business? Yeah. Uh, how happy are you? Are, are you satisfying a bigger mission? Do you, do you feel content? Yeah. Um, 
I used to say, and so many entrepreneurs I think do, I'm going to be the next name big company yeah. of the day. Google, Airbnb, yeah. Amazon. I'm going to be the next big Amazon. Fuck that. Like, yeah. and I had a realization. It's like, why? Actually, I have it on my wall. Why am I putting on this planet? And there's my uh, next to my light there. Do you still have your right. bracelet? Do you still have your bracelet? Yeah, it bracelet? broke. It broke two days ago. I do have the bracelet. I wear it every day except for today because <laughs> it broke a couple of days ago. Um, I got to put a new one on. And um, I saw a reminder to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty, which means this, this perception of success and, and where we really are, this desire for health and wealth and happiness, but the struggle of working our ass off and having no money, that gap is entrepreneurial yeah. poverty. And uh, I was like, that's, that's my mission. Um, I, I, I was gonna say that because one thing you talk about, like you talked about time poverty, money poverty. I wonder if there's a third one around, um, and I don't know what it is. I don't know what the word is, but like value poverty or self-worth poverty that entrepreneurs Probably. have. And it's like, when I get 150K in my account, when I get a million in my account, then I'll feel this. So I've been studying, because my most recent book, I, I needed to, but Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So yes. I'm much more intimate with, with it now than I ever was. So Maslow says, you know, foundationally, there's these survival mechanisms. We need food and water and air. Like if that's not satisfied, nothing else matters. But then above that safety, and part of safety, he says, is financial security. Mm -hmm. Then there is, I think the next level is belonging, the sense of value in a community, to your point. Mm -hmm. And it keeps going up to ultimately to self-actualization. Self-actualization is where we live one's life's purpose. Our business can satisfy all those levels. But if we're just at that survival level, we never feel fulfilled because it's always just trying to get by for another day, just, just to get one check to, in today to pay the mortgage or the rent or whatever tomorrow. Yeah. And we don't feel fulfilled. Yeah. So, and, and if we're in this mindset of bigger is better, it's always gonna be about, it's not enough money. It, it keeps us at the base. True. Once we realize that any size business can be the right size business, that any size business can be made healthy and we, actually make it healthy, mm. then we can aspire and experience these higher levels. And and that's something that I was curious to pick your brain on just before I get like in, into one of the big question is, um, so you talked about like a business being expression of who you are, right? Like the ideal business model would be an expression of who you are, your values, what you see in the world. How do you honor that? And also uh, honor this other maxim of yours that you are not your business and that using the business term my business is my baby might not be the healthiest relationship description to your business. So how do you hold both this business as an expression of who I am, an extension of my values and how I see the world. And also it's not me and I'm not it, right? Like how do you, how do you, how do you marriage those kind of two thoughts? I guess the analogy that comes to mind at least is a little bit like a message in a bottle, right? So what's the message you want to put out there, but you don't mm. have to carry it across the ocean. Um, you can grab the momentum of the waves and the winds to move it around. So for example, in my business, I, I, and this doesn't happen overnight. I don't think for most people, it took me years of just asking, why am I on this planet? And I, I believe it's a calling that could be a religious or a self-imposed that, that's yeah. for everyone to define for themselves. But I feel like, okay, this is my calling. This is my reason for my, my existence is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. Then I say, what's the platform or mechanism, the vehicle mm. to, to carry this as broad as I want it. I also believe we can go broader deep. Meaning, I believe I'm going broad. I have, a, I have a message that hopefully inspires many people, but it's not going to serve them for the longevity of their business. It's it's the spark, and they're going to need other resources to go deeper. Conversely, I could be a heart surgeon, and I'm not going to serve you know millions of patients. I could save maybe 50 patients a year or mm. whatever the number is, and, and be extremely deep. So 
I, I've chosen to go broad. So first yeah. I started with purpose, then I chose the scope broader deep. And then how do I do it without me? Because if I'm going to go broad, uh, if I'm, if I'm the limiting factor, it's not going to go broad quickly. So how right. can I empower people, other systems, other things, the, the platform yeah. itself books, you know, you write a book once it can get distributed you know, millions yeah. of times. Yeah, and, I, and I've heard and I've heard you talk about this, which I thought was great. Like I, I remember you telling an anecdote of you being at a conference and uh, someone next to you got really excited to tell you, like, "Oh, the keynote of Profit First is coming to to talk," and you're like, "Oh, that's amazing!" And like, "Do you know her?" And he and he showed you the name of someone. And you were like, "Oh, wow!" I've come to the point where it's, research, my brother. Yeah, that's you fun. know, like it's come out of you, like to the point where someone now is being associated with this thing that you birthed. Like that that's something that's really interesting because I think you have to have a certain level of, um, I don't know if it's self selfless ego, but something like I'm going to let this go so I can serve more people. Yeah, really. So the analogy I heard, which just rings so true with me, if you ever play poker or any any kind of card games uh, where there's betting and there's multiple people at the table playing against each other, mm. here's what's the interesting phenomenon. If someone has a weak hand, meaning they're likely to lose, they go into a bluffing state. Like, oh, my hand's so big. They're trying to inspire people to get remove get removed from the table because they're afraid of this guy. Conversely, if you have the strong hand, that's when you you play weak. You're like, eh, you know, uh, and, and you want people to stay in because you know sure. you're going to win the pot. What I found in life is the people that are trying to show big and be big, it's because inside they're, they're just a weak hand mm. and they're trying to bluff their way to, to frighten others. Right. But the, the folks with the strong hand, it's like, whatever. I, I, there's this internal confidence. Um, I was in bluff state and, and listen, I'm human. I, I still have sure. a fat ego that needs every so often a little yeah. you know, pop. So it, I oscillate. But in moments like that, there's realizations I have. It's like, oh, so I was presenting on Profits. I was the, the closing keynote for this event. But there's another, uh, there's other people now that are doing, we call them derivatives, supplements of Profit First, Profit First for different aspects. And uh, a colleague of mine, her name is Cindy Thomason, wrote a book called Profit First for E-commerce Sellers. And this was an e-commerce event. The people there were more intimate with Cindy's work with Profit First than mine, even yeah. though I was the keynote guy. Yeah. So this guy's like, "Hey, have you heard of Profit First? Like, he didn't know who I was. He's like, because I told him as an author, he's like, "Oh, you got to read this book, Profit First." And my fat ego goes, Whoa. <laughs> "Tell me more. Did you love it?" This guy's gonna shit himself. Like, I'm so <laughs> jacked up when he finds out to me, and then he goes. But before he finishes the sentence, he goes, "It's written by uh, Cindy Thomason," and then my ego goes, "Yeah." But but it inflated again at a whole new level. I was like, oh my God, profit first is living beyond me. And, yeah. and that's the definition of true success. If I want to have that impact, it, it can't be on my shoulders. Sure. It's got to be on the shoulders of many people. And Cindy Thomason is among lots of folks who've embraced it and now carry it yeah. far beyond I ever could on my own. So um, for people who uh, struggled with the idea of having to open up and share about their shortcomings, their things they might not be proud of, some of their story in the past, what would you like to tell them about the gifts that happen or, or, or live on the other side of that? Oh, that's a great question. I, you know, first, I empathize with anyone that feels that way. It's called you're human. So that's totally normal. The gifts are the realization that um, so many others have been there, done that. It's, it, it's hard to shock and surprise people. Um, you know, when, when people come out and share their stories, like, man, I knew there was, I knew that was there for some folks. Other folks are like, yeah, I've been there myself. Yeah. I think the greatest gift though is this, is you're, you're, 
do the same as me. There's we're walking arm in arm in this journey together. Related, it's not it's this a, yeah. pundit or this guru or these ridiculously stupid terms where you put people on pedestals. Mm. Um, but they, you're also not less than. I think that's the fear. It's like, well, if I share this, I'm less than. You know, anyone that thinks you're less than, they're putting themselves on a pedestal. I think it is the greatest connector is just being honest and integral yeah. with who we are. Um, the other thing is there's a tribe waiting for it because so many people are afraid of sharing their reality. Um, when someone steps up, by default, if you so desire, you're, you're kind of the leader of that movement because mm. no one else will, or very few will share that. Mm. Um, so it's the ultimate connector, it really is. It's terrifying, yeah, but it's the ultimate connector. Because one of the things that keeps them coming up is this fear of judgment. What if people judge me? What if people criticize me? As someone who's written six books, um, a half a million yeah. readers, I think I read somewhere. You must have got a few, <laughs> a few comments like, "You suck, Mike." You know, everyone judges yeah. you. Well, how, how do you do with that? I'm like, a judger. I'm a yeah. judger. <laughs> I'm judgy judging you. I'm like, oh, his beard is so perfect. How can it be? <laughs> like, it's going on. We all do that. Yeah. Um, I, but the reality those, is, no matter what we do, we'll be judged by others, and we will be judged. We have to be integral that we ourselves are judges. Now. The thing is, I, I think there's two dangers. I think I think there's this thing of envy. Like if I envy something, what happened or someone, what happens is I'm like, oh, they don't deserve that. And by saying that, that means I feel I'm I may deserve that, but I'm here and they're here. So now uh, the only way to make me feel good is like, well, you know, he colors his beard and like, oh, you know, you know, that it's probably pace, it's probably a, a, a makeup kit or something. And I'm pulling him down. So I'm pulling you down to make you feel I'm not better. elevating myself. The other, which I think was even worse, is pity. Pity is like you see that homeless person on the street, you're like, don't make eye contact, walk around. Thank God that's not me, which doesn't elevate us. Yeah. I think when we embrace others, um, when we say, wow, this person is a human too. What can I learn? What can I share? That's when both parties go up. Um, and, and it all starts by someone being willing to break down the barrier and say, here's my reality. Yeah. I, I think... Listen, I don't like I, when I get introduced and they're like, "Oh, Mike's an author of books and bestseller." Oh, God, I hate those terms because it's like everyone must be thinking this is the biggest dick ever coming up on board full of himself. <laughs> like to say he's a guy who's discovered yeah. some stuff that that will maybe help you because it's helped him. Yeah, that's how I want to be introduced. And you're still good. That's actually that when you introduced me to say that. You yeah. can say that. No, I like that. And 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 there's something also about you're still in that process. Right, like there's there's this process that you're going through the pains. You're trying to explain your you're trying to discover your own pains and share them in such a way that people get it and can yeah. fix their own problems. You know, so exactly like eradicating career poverty. Cool. Coming to the last set of questions. Um, number one, what does being unconventional mean to you? Uh, okay, unconventional just means actually following your own conventions. Isn't that mm -hmm. ironic? Right, being true to yourself, uh, even though it may not be a societal norm. That's actually the best thing. That's yeah. unconventional. If uh, if all your books or six books were erased, all your columns at the Wall Street Journal, everything disappeared, your blog posts, your podcast, everything was gone. And uh, you could leave a note behind you and you could write down three things that you wish you could pass on, three things that um, you've learned about life, about business, about whatever you wanted. What would those three truths be? I wonder if the note would be legible because I'd be crying so hard, <laughs> snot bubbles. Like, oh! lost everything right as i'm writing this note so it may just I've be got no ego. i've got no ego it'd be tears so whoever gets it would get a soggy napkin basically 
I think the the notes I leave behind is um, is whatever you do, it's cool. Like it, it's like I don't think there's a better journey or pathway. Like I, whatever we experience, it's it's the experience. And I'm like, listen, horrible things happen. I'm not saying everything's okay, but I'm saying that like we all have our own journey, and that that's a good thing. Mm. Um, there's no better or worse, in my opinion. So I, I would say that. I would say um, um, I would say get up and just do start start doing right away um when like this morning you were talking off offline but you know i exercised ready but i already spent an hour writing this morning like mm. that's my first thing i do every morning so six to seven i'm writing that's probably been the biggest impact it's not like i some authors out here like oh i went to a cabin i wrote for you know for two months straight and my eyes were bleeding i'm like oh i just wrote i write every day for an hour uh and sometimes yeah. a little bit more yeah. and and that just getting up and doing every single day has made for me significant progress. Hmm. I think the the third one is, um, is anything to an extreme is not good. Like I, I thought like working to an extreme workaholism was good. I don't think it's good. Anything to an extreme. Um, so it's not in everything in moderation. It's just, it's just control the extremes, at least yeah. for me. Okay. Appreciate that. Look, I know we're running out of time, so I'm respectful. I had a bunch of questions in the audience. I'll, I'll get back to them and say that we'll, it'll be for another time when we get back. We get you back on the show. There you go. But um, here's the thing for everybody watching. I'll talk about this in the outro. The latest book you wrote, Fix This Next, um, a really, really pioneering book in terms of understanding what to focus your attention on. Because most of the questions are like, what should I do now? What should I do next? What should I be doing in 2020? And I'm like, just read the book and it kind of gets you through the business hierarchy of needs. Uh, Mike, I appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Uh, I hope that we'll get to meet in person one day in whatever context that may be. And anything I can do to help and support and serve your uh, mission, let me know. But uh, thank you for your time. You got a deal. Well, thanks, Mark, for having me on. You know, I, yeah. the one country I've yet to be to is England. I've been all around you. What? Yeah, I've been to Ireland. I've been to France. I've been to Germany. I've been to every European country except for England. And, you know, so I got to visit you in London. That's that, that's crazy. Yeah. Because one of the one of the things I was I was keen to hear at one point, we'll have to ask you at the time was motorbike Mike, which was a, a nickname you had at school, but you never rode a motorbike. Like how never rode a motorbike. Happened? Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm now you they call me London Mike, and I've never been to London. I <laughs> minus a flight through Heathrow on my way to India. Yeah. It's the waistcoat. That doesn't it's the, it's the waistcoats that you wear. You know, it's it's the it's, it's the fashion. <laughs> I got a funny waistcoats where I just gotta say, so you know, in the US we call them vests. So I'm wearing uh, this vest and there's one colleague I had who's like, she hates vests. And she's like, oh, these are the worst that you shouldn't, you shouldn't wear these. And I started wearing them regularly. One day I wear a particular vest and she's like, oh my gosh, I actually like that vest. I'm like, it's not a vest, it's a waistcoat. You like waistcoats. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, look, I'm gonna let you go. I know you gotta run, so appreciate you. Hi, brother. I'll, I'll send you the links and all that stuff if you, uh, if you ever have a 20 minutes doing work and you want to listen to it. But thanks and let me know how I can help, yeah? You got it. Be well. Be well. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Mike Michalowicz. Uh, I really loved spending a bit of time with Mike and getting to know him a bit more, hearing his message. But I really invite you to go and check out his books. Um, he's written six books, but the Fix This Next is going to help you basically understand what to do next. Like a lot of the questions I got from the audience, and we didn't have time to answer them today, but a lot of the questions I got from the audience were, what should I do next? What should I do now? What's the next problem I know to do? What should I be doing? A lot of these questions keep on coming up and fix this next is the solution to that. It basically explores the business hierarchy of needs of any organization and it breaks them down to five different kind of levels per level 
And, and it really gives you a roadmap on understanding what to do next. As Mike said, the biggest problem for entrepreneurs is that they don't know what their biggest problems are. Uh, and so you kind of fix it into that. Then for me personally, the biggest game changer has been Profit First, uh, the book about understanding how to create a sustainable, profitable business and that how to pay, take profit literally first out of anything else you do. It changed the way I run my business. It changed the way that I manage my finances. I've never had to worry about taxes ever again since I've done this. Plus, I put some nice little money aside that I know that I can uh, use for whatever I want to do, whatever, whatever works for me. Uh, clockwork, if you want to understand how to run your business efficiently, where you don't have to be there 24-7, where you can actually take time off, um, goes into the concept of protecting your queen bee role. You'll find out more about QBO, what that means in this. This is the book for you. And then the Pump and Clan, just to make sure, like, how do you make sure that you grow your business sustainably in such a way that you eradicate clients that are just weighing you down? It's the whole 80-20% uh, rule. Uh, an amazing book. It's based on actual uh, science on how farmers grow pumpkins the natural way to phenomenal sizes. So those are just a few books you can pick up. And there's also the Surge and the uh, Toilet Paper Entrepreneur that you can go and check out. Uh, as always, if you've got any questions, let me know in the comments below if you're watching this on YouTube or reach out to me on social media. If you enjoyed it, share it with a friend, make sure to subscribe on YouTube and over on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating and review. That means the world to me. Right, that's it for now. Appreciate you. Thank you for spending a bit of time with me in my home. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. If you've got any questions, let me know. And hopefully, I'll see you next time. Your message matters, you matter, and I'll see you then.